everybody. Welcome to the Jesus Culture Podcast. We're so glad that you would tune in and, and take some time to hang out with us. Uh, we're really excited about today's conversation. Um, so we are, we've been in a leadership series. The Jesus Culture Podcast has been focusing for 12 episodes on leadership. And uh, we actually believe every believer is called to lead. Leadership is influence. If you've got some of it, you are a leader. And our heart and uh desires that we would be able to equip you to steward that influence well. And so we have a great conversation today with our guest, John Tyson. John, go ahead, say hello. G'day, everybody. What a joy to be with you. We are really excited to dive in. But before that, um, we have been partnering with World Vision to bring you the Jesus Culture podcast, and their chosen campaign has just been really impacting our staff that has been, that have participated in it, getting the stories behind what World Vision is doing with this. We are so excited to, to partner with them. We want you guys to listen briefly to what they have to say, and then we'll be back with the conversation. In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of the COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty, putting kids at greater risk of hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. Child Sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child in their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you provide hope. It is one of the most effective ways to help the world's most vulnerable children in their communities address the impacts of this pandemic and lift themselves out of poverty for good, especially now. The reality is thousands of children are waiting to be sponsored. But what you don't know is everything is about to change. For the first time, World Vision is inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship. Yet instead of you choosing them, they choose you. Something no organization has ever done before. It doesn't matter who you are or where in the world you live. Every single one of us wants to be seen, to be loved, to be chosen. Put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Text PODCAST to 56170 and sponsor a child now. All right, guys. John, uh, you've been on the podcast before, but for anybody who maybe skipped that episode, how dare they? Why don't you give us some just quick context for, for who you are, what you're, what you're leading in life right now? Okay, yes, I am a pastor in New York City and an author, and um, I'm originally from Australia. I've been in New York the last 16 years, and it absolutely uh, has my heart. I am passionate about Jesus, the kingdom of God, um, jazz music, motorbikes, and all other cliche middle-aged things. That's me. <laughs> That's amazing. So so how long do you have to be in New York before you're considered a New Yorker? Are you a New Yorker after 16 years? Yes. Yes, I am. When I was there seven years, they said it was seven years. And then when you were there 10 years, they said it was 10 years. It's 10 years. 10 years. That, I mean, that yes, is that, that is the real. universally recognized thing. If if you've been there 10 years, they're like, look, you're one of us. Perfect. So. That's amazing. It's amazing. It, listen, I know there's, there's making home uh, other places and then there's making home in New York. So I recognize they're two different things, but... I'm, I'm coming up my nine year mark of being in Atlanta and I'm realizing like the, crossing that 10 year place is significant. Mm. A decade anywhere is real time. So Phil, you're no longer a Pacific Northwesterner. You're now a Georgian. 
Are you I'm Southern? a Southerner. You're I'm Southern. a Southerner. And listen, I want to say that I'm proud to be a Southerner. I There are things about Southern culture that I will never be and like to make fun of, but there are, I am proud to be from the South. It is Waffle a remarkable House, place. Waffle, Waffle House, House is gold. Starters. Now, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you know, you may not know this. John, John and I are pretty close friends. And, uh, and, and, you know, we, when we're together in Atlanta, Waffle House is our place. There's Waffle just, House uh, is it, mate. Patty melt plates, scattered, covered, smothered, vanilla Coke. <laughs> and then the new one is the pecan waffle. The pecan That's unbelievable. Waffle. Listen, That's C.S. Lewis and Tolkien can have their, you know, their dragon, whatever, wherever they want to be. But we're changing the world from Waffle House. That's right. They had the eagle and the child. We have the, the eagle and the child. That's right. That's amazing. That's your guys's. That's where your roundtable discussions are happening. That are diving deep into theology and the culture and of, leadership. Of, yes. and, and leadership and leadership in the modern church. Listen, it is a, it is a dream of my heart that one day people will be like, "This is the Waffle House." That Phil Manginelli and John Tyson created blank. You know what I mean? That's it. It's going to happen one day, bro. That's amazing. I feel it. Listen, Bye honestly, faith. John, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. And we're in a series where we're talking about leadership and uh, just coming back to some of the roots of who we are. Uh, it's just in the Jesus Culture podcast. We want to uh, really be a people who pour into leaders and give them the heart and the tools. And today, I really want to talk to you about two things. One, I want to talk to you about the fact that you just released a book called The Intentional Father, and uh, something that I really believe uh, is one of the most significant resources out there. And for everybody listening, uh, if you have kids, uh, our role as pastors, leaders, followers of Jesus in the place of our children, uh, there's there's really nothing that compares. Uh, and I want to just process you. I, I love your book. I finished your book. I'm walking through your book right now with a handful of guys in my church. So I have a lot to talk about there. I want to I want to hear just even the vision of what it means for not only our parenting, but just even the the way that blends into conversations about intentionality in all things and in leadership. And then Becky and I really do want to talk to you just about the intentionality of discipling. And obviously, there's that place of where that's connected into the heart of your book around intentional fathering, but then almost leaning into that conversation as leaders about what does it look like to really get intentional towards the place of discipleship in our lives and the lives of others. So that's kind of the big picture. So honestly, why don't you just, will you start by just sharing the vision of the book, what you talked about, and in uh, really what what's at the heart of the intentional father? Well, the, the book's basically built on three things, the three motivations behind it. Number one, I had a son. He's, he's 21 now. He's on a plane as we speak going to <laughs> YWAM Kona. When he was born, I was completely overwhelmed with both two things, love and fear. I love this kid. And I had no idea how to help him become a godly man. I felt completely overwhelmed. The task was too big, my own brokenness, my own dysfunction. So I, I wanted to like realizing my inadequacy started me on a journey of like, how do I, how do, how do you help someone become a godly man in a world like ours? On a secondary level, uh, I pastor a church that's predominantly the majority of people in my church are in their 20s, in the middle of New York City, uh, in a neighborhood called Hell's Kitchen. And I'm telling you the amount of father wounds I deal with, mm. the amount of father wounds, it's, it's an epidemic, the amount of people whose lives are irreparably broken because 
of the either bad influence or lack of influence their fathers had on them is staggering, and I don't know why we don't talk about it more. And then thirdly, outside the uh, church, you look at the culture, it's just like this, the rates of depression and anxiety in this generation are breathtaking. Since tw- between 2009 and 2016, rates of anxiety and depression grew by 80% in one generation. Yeah. And then other stats say since t- 2016 to now, another 90%. Wow. It just seems impossible. We are doing something that is not working. It's not right. working in terms of how we're raising young people. So I wanted to speak into that. I wanted to provide an alternative way. Now, the challenge is when you when you read the canon of literature, you find that a lot of books around fathers, this is the book. I was wounded. My dad wounded me. Here's how to deal with your wounds. I was like, where's the book that says, hey, if you got a teenager, boy, have I got something for you. Do this. There was a couple of like noble efforts in that space, but they were very dated and they were not holistic. And it was like, hey, take your kid on a camping trip and and do the sex talk. And it was like, man, our culture is so potent at forming young people right now. It's immersive. They are saturated with secularism. A a camping trip here here and there, a a pretty good youth service, that's not going to get the job done. So I wanted to, to basically build a robust pathway to help you disciple your kids. And then I went back and realized, did a bunch of like basically anthropological research and realized, oh, there's a way other societies used to do this that we don't do it anymore. What if I reclaim some of that and do it in the way of Jesus? So that's like a big chunk altogether of the origins of what it's about. And then the book itself is the story of me discipling my son from 13 to 19, and it closes with us walking 500 miles across Spain together on the Camino de Santiago where he runs into the ocean and is blessed and welcomed into the community of men. So Man, it, was, incredible. it was a wild time. That's amazing. I mean, and it, <laughs> I think, I think when, uh, when I start to have these conversations with people around this, this vision of intentional fathering, I think it, it suddenly everybody begins to have language mm-hmm. for uh, something that is in their heart Mm. Uh, but they didn't know how to give themselves to. And often because we just almost accept the level of unbelievable busyness we're in as both leaders and as parents. And it's as I, even, even in this group of men where I've started to go through this book, this vision, even the word intentional fathering it for them, it's all started of like, Oh, I am fathering reactive. That is, and it just, just, I've been amazed, John, about how how even the simplicity of it is awakening thing in people's lives that they they had clarity to see. It's just they haven't been they haven't had the ability to slow it down and see. Yeah, I think the typical Christian dad today experiences two things: deep determination, like that. I want to get this right. I want to do no matter how good my dad was. I want to do better than my dad. And then number two, they're completely overwhelmed about how to do it by the pace of our yeah. culture the influence of our culture, the complexities of the teenage years, their own inadequacies and wounds. And I'm like, my book is designed for determined but overwhelmed dads. That is the sweet spot. If you're not yeah. determined, this is this book's going to be overwhelming. And if, if you're not overwhelmed, like, praise God, man, keep going. Bless you. You don't need my book. But if you're in that, like that diagram of overwhelmed but determined, this book will, will like feel like a, like a, you say, thank, Thank you for writing something I can actually use in my everyday life. 
would you say it's, um, I'm thinking of all the dads out there with daughters. Is it, is it geared towards those with sons or is it applicable? Because you have a daughter as well. Okay, so I've got a separate book for daughters. I did a different process with my daughter called 50 Pieces of My Heart. 50 key deposits every dad must make in his daughter's life before she leaves home. Mm. But I'm writing that right now. Amazing. I just finished, my daughter just, just left home a month ago. So I'm in the process of taking the personal stuff I write for her and turning it into a usable format for others. That's amazing. It is predominantly for fathers and sons. So Becky, I even I want to get your thoughts on this, both just, we, I, we've talked a lot about your story mm-hmm. with your with your dad and your mm-hmm. family. Yeah. And then as a youth pastor, you're in the world mm-hmm. of teenagers in the midst of adolescence. And, uh, and so I honestly, like, just even as John talks about this vision and what he's written and what he's done with his own son, I want to hear like what you're hearing mm-hmm. and what you see in the middle of it. Absolutely. I mean, it's true. You know, um, I grew up essentially fatherless and raised by a single mom. And then I, and then a stepdad came into the picture who was physically present, emotionally absent. And, um, just, you know, that's my story of, of, of that orphaned girl coming to Jesus and finding, you know, a father in God. And and then the Lord bringing wonderful spiritual fathers who were committed to disciple me. Had the church, had fathers in the church not stepped in, saw me, and said, I'm going to commit myself to disciple you. I would not be where I am today. So I love what this conversation's about. But just even as I deal with teenagers, it's it's astounding, the, the like you said, the level of anxiety and depression that's reported. And what's sad is what I'm seeing parents do is react. And I have to assume it's because they're just so overwhelmed. They don't know what to do other than dismiss it. You're emotional. It's dramatic you're not, I'll show you anxious. I'm anxious. I've got built, you know, what are you tired about? What are you depressed about? And watching, you know, I'm watching a generation, uh, not be validated in that and, 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 and it's not fixing it. It's just making it worse. And so for me to hear this, I go, okay, the Lord is moving on the hearts of people to put resources in, in father's hands, to put resources in families back in the family, the nuclear family, which needs to be saved, putting resources to help uh, disciple and, and father this generation. I, I remember Stephen Covey saying something once, and this, this shook me as a parent. And I read it when my kids were really little, when my son was maybe two. Stephen Covey tells this story about a dad who comes, Stephen Covey was a famous self-help guy, but that's that's actually sounds dismissive. He's actually a very profound leader who brought character back and not just technique back right. into the sort of like popular consciousness. He wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which basically two generations have skipped. But a generation above me, it was like the book you had to read. It changed my life. It probably saved my marriage, gave me 15 hours a week back. So that's a plug for the book. Um, but <laughs> what, it, what he said in the book is a dad comes up to him and, and the dad says this, I don't understand my son. He won't listen to me. And Covey says, say that again. And he says, I don't understand my son. He won't listen to me. He said, say it again. I don't understand my son. He won't listen to me. He said, say it one more time. I don't understand my son. He won't listen to me. He says, well, here's your problem. In order to understand, you have to listen to him. You have to listen to him. And it just, it made me realize like we are so often prescribing out of our own story Mm -hmm. into our kids' stories. Like I'll show you anxiety 
talk about a dismissive phrase. One of the keys that I try and talk about in the book is like you've got to enter into your kid's experience to the degree that they are experiencing. You've got to emotionally connect on their level, enter their world, and that will give you the right then to guide them through the complexities of these years. Mm-hmm. And if you just like this, because for them, it's the biggest experience of their life. I, they are stressed because they live in a world where there's so much uncertainty that failing that one test feels like you've lost your destiny. And, you know, and parents saying, well, you'll be fine. Trust me. It's like, no, I, I don't. I want to trust you. I can't trust you. This is everything to me, you know? And I think we certainly don't understand how the pressure is compounded because there's a thousand eyes watching us on social media and the pressure to perform is so high and, so, man, that grieves me to hear that, but I am grateful for youth pastors like you who really understand that and serving our kids. Like, why didn't you move to New York 10 years ago and help disciple my kids? I'm jealous. <laughs> no, it, listen, I feel the same way around Becky all the time. It's like, um, can you just, can there be 10 Becky Johnson? Can you <laughs> yeah. figure this out? Who else have you raised up? Um, who else have you no, raised so John, up? So, John, here's a question I have for you in the, in the middle of this is as you walked through this process with with Nate and as you walked through what you walked through uh, with Haley, like what was actually the hardest part of, of, of being this intentional as you, as you put the rubber to the road, what was the part that you found the most challenging about actually being this intentional and, and future forward in your leadership towards your kids? Disciplining my entire life for eight years to make this like one of my top priorities, consistency. The thing with teenagers, man, they're not going to, every chance that they get to get out of something, they'll take it. Hey, dad, no worries. I understand you're busy. I'm going to go hang with my friends. No worries, dad. I get it. They'll stop asking. If you make enough excuses, they'll stop asking. Then they'll never ask again. Then you'll be asking and they won't want to. And so I was just like, I had a mentality for almost a decade. This is the major task of my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell people it, the compound effect of it is radical. If I tell you that for almost six years, I spent 40 minutes a day with my son pouring into him everything I ever learned. That sounds like, holy crap. At the time, it didn't feel like that at all. It was a moment. It was a decision where my mornings were a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I got up earlier. I wrote a lesson for him. I got him up. We spent that time together. And it like, and again, if I didn't put it on Instagram, you would never have known about it. You know, and it would have just been like, hey, Nate showed up to school and he had a different morning than his friends. It was invisible, but it was profound over the course of time. So to me, the hardest thing, there's many, many, I mean, I could say this without exaggeration, hundreds of nights. I said no to things I wanted to do so I could spend time getting something ready for my kids. Yeah. And I was like, I just can't do that. I want to do that. I can't. They'll be gone before I know it. Yeah. I got to get this right. And and then now they're both out in the world. And it's like, gosh, I tell you, I wish I'd been more disciplined. Wow. People say, what regrets do you have? I'm like, I wish I'd been more intentional. And I was like intentional. I'm like, I wish I'd given it more. I would trade some of those trips I took and travel. And be like, I don't want to do it. I'm staying with my kids. So, yeah, it's like as somebody who's now an empty nester, I can tell you, man, those daily sacrifices are absolutely worth it. But that was the hardest part. Again, because it didn't feel like you missed something. It didn't feel that big. 
Oh, we just didn't yeah. do it. Oh, we just, it doesn't feel like that much, but it, it was constantly reminding myself of the long game, the end game. Yeah. And um, so. And you know, what's so amazing about that is, is I, I think that is both, uh, I think there's, there's, there's challenge and encouragement in the midst of this, but here's, here's the encouraging part of this that I think people need to hear, even in the conversation about parenting or, or leadership is it's actually the power is in the consistency of small decisions that, yes. that it, sometimes we think about things, we get caught in how large they are, but we forget that if we just take them down to the smallest, most intentional decisions, they're, they're radical. If you ask my kids, here's what I, here's what I was hoping to have happen. Like, I just wanted to be in the room where the jokes happened. I just wanted to be in the room <laughs> where the sentence, where the seed hit good soil. And I, you just never knew. You never knew what it was going to be. So if you were to ask my kids today, like, what are some of your favorite memories with your dad? Like, it was some stuff I never planned, but because I had the commitment to be with them, it made it possible. Yeah. And they, they, they don't look big. Like, we actually had one this morning while I was driving mate. Uh, to the airport it was like one of those ones where it's like he's going to be talking about this ten years from now, and it's so crazy because we almost got him an Uber. He's twenty one. Oh. You know, I don't want to have to drive back into New York going the opposite way. I don't want to go. We drove him out to JFK, which means we were against traffic, and we drove into Manhattan with city traffic. It's like, is this really worth it? But we had some jokes and conversations. Are like ten years from now he'll bring it up. Yeah, and it's just because we're in the car. So to me, yeah, those small decisions over the course of time, that's where the big stuff happens. And this is, you know, to, to kind of move this into dis- discipleship, because parenting is discipleship, right? I mean, fathering is discipleship. That's what it is. And it's, it's those, especially I find with teenagers, it's, there's windows that open and then they close quick and you can't force that window open. So I can, I can get coffee, my scheduled 3 p.m. coffee with my group of high school girls and nothing could come of it, but if I'm, because I can't force that window open, but what I find the most, the most impact, the most transformation is when I go, hey, when I get in the car, we're going to, I'm going to go get groceries with, with my kids. Come with me, come put, put your life on my life. Let's go. We'll grab, we'll grab some in and out burger on the way. And in that mundane errand of taking some teenagers along with me, all of a sudden the window opens and here we are talking about the boyfriend, talking about the anxiety, talking about what they're what they're processing in their worldview and God, and I go, mm, mm. it's it's just organic. I mean, and this is you you can't <laughs> force it to happen. Schedule it, schedule it to happen. So I love what you're saying. It's just if you're not committed to the consistent interaction, the consistent time spent, you you won't get those windows. Yeah, that's awesome. What well, what would you say, John? To as I'm as I'm listening. I'm wondering, did you just have like a perfect father? Is this easy for you because you go, well, I had a perfect father and I'm replicating my perfect father. And and for so again, right, as I grew up not in the church, dad left, I would go, oh, anybody doing this well, you must have had a great, you must have had a great dad and kind of had to work through that in my own life of going, doesn't matter, you know. So what what's for people listening who are going, I, I couldn't because... What was your own hurdle, your own pass with that? Well, I mean, you know, everything we study and we talk about is normal. It normally comes out of your own pain or wounds or a desire to change something. Yeah. You know, my dad was my dad was wonderful. But, I mean, my dad did not do this for me. 
my dad did not know how to do this for me. If my dad knew how to do this, he probably would have done it. So to me, I mean, like he grew up in a, in a home. My dad grew up in India in a boarding school, you know, because my grandfather was a missionary who, by the way, is the only person I personally know who watched creative miracles. He watched people grow arms. And it's like he's got a wild Pentecostal, wild Pentecostal story, preached in, a, in the middle of a, a Hindu riot. He said he had a, a visible army of angels around him where people were trying to beat him and they couldn't get to him. He just stood up and preached the gospel. Wild stories. Terrible father. Wow. Wild miracles. Terrible father. Dumped his kids in a boarding school. Never saw them. Wow. And um, so my dad grew up and, you know, my grandfather gave him nothing, gave him nothing. So my dad did so much, so much better than my grandfather, but he didn't, I mean, I'm sure I was like a bit of a character and very complicated to sort of deal with. I mean, I sort of had to make this up. And I, I think, you know, like how I'm gifted, like how part of my wiring is if I see a problem, I always like zoom out, like, what, it's never just like, what is the problem? It's like, what is the scope of this problem? How long has it existed? And how have people in all times and places thought about it? Mm-hmm. So I can read as widely as I can and then sort of like develop generic principles and then zoom into the specifics and go, okay, I think now that I understand it, I can do something about it. It was actually like that with this. I was like, hey, look, I got wounds. My dad had wounds. Like, okay, I feel like from everything I've read, this seems to sort of be the path. Okay, let me sort of hack that together and do this for my son. So I I tell you, I had one of the best moments of my life with my son like a week ago in the car. We were driving somewhere together, and he just said something to me that in the moment I just sort of pushed it off, but gosh, it just it touched my heart so deeply. But he, 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 we're driving along and we're talking about childhood memories. And he, he said, Dad, you, he said, Dad, you are a great dad. He said, when I go into my heart, I know that when I was a kid, I was meant to have all these memories. And I, I've got them all because of your intentionality. Like all the things I'm meant to have, they're in me because you really did it. And I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> you know? But, the, the, you know, and again, I'm not saying that out of pride. I'm saying that like like I can't even believe that he would say that. I mean, you want to talk about healing, mm-hmm. a hope of breaking generational cycles. Like that was so life-giving. The best moment ever with my son, um, maybe I was, maybe he's 14. And I actually drew up behind me on a huge sort of chalkboard. Here's what we're going to cover for the next, the next you know, several years. And then one day he's sitting with me and he says, Dad, who took you through the primal path, which is what I call it? Who took you through the primal path? And I was like, no one, man. He goes, well, where did all of this stuff come from? And I said, well, it came out of my head, man. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I made all of this up for you. I designed all this for you. He said, you didn't do this? Like, this is just for me? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, I feel so loved. get choked up. I feel so loved. And I was like, I don't know how many moments that my son would say, I felt loved. I know he felt encouraged and inspired and supportive, but to feel loved. So anyway, that was like, man, that's the stuff I'm all about. You know, that's what intentionality does. I think it breaks those generational cycles. So there, I want to tell you, like, wherever you're coming from, whatever your background is as a dad, I'm telling you, you have no idea 
your ability and power to start a whole new godly line in your family by simply just resolving in your heart, asking for grace and just being intentional every day. What would your encouragement be to somebody who goes, eh, it's too late. My kid's 10. It's too late. I Are just... you kidding? <laughs> You're just getting started at 10. Come on. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, psychologists tell us that the deepest, the deepest memories that stay with us the longest are the memories of our late teenage years and early 20s. And the reason wow. is, is because we're experiencing so many firsts in our life, so many self-chosen adult firsts. So your, your, your wounds in your childhood normally come in two categories. Either you weren't protected properly or you weren't nurtured properly. But the things you remember are the things that you got to go through. So I'm like, man, you're just getting to the good stuff. Come on. You're just getting to the good stuff. You, you got so much time. I love that. Man, that's so fun. So my oldest son is 12 and uh, we're, you know, we're in a, like a pre year. We're launching the, the primal path that. together. Uh, and we're actually, it's fun. We're doing a coming of age trip. We are going to, I'm taking him to Germany for his birthday when he turns mm. 13 next spring, kind of all of these things planned about marking the season of discipleship. We're going together. And I was talking with Jake about it, you know, as we're, as we're getting ready. And I just said, Jake, here are some of the rhythms uh, that we've started. We've started meeting. Uh, we're we're doing a, a meeting uh, one week before school, and then I'm picking him up from school one day a week. Mm. We've started these kind of do, mm. do and I, I was processing with him, and he asked. It was really fascinating because he asked me this question. He just said, um, he said, Dad, is it okay if I tell my friends about what we're doing? And I was like, Of course, but that. Well, no concern to me. Why? Why would that bother you? And he just goes, because I just know that uh, that most of my friends, their dads, don't do this stuff like this, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. I don't want to make them sad. Wow. <laughs> I just I sat with my son in that 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 thing of like, what world have we created? Yes, where my son would have the awareness of like, if mm-hmm. my friends knew what mm. our relationship was like, I'm worried it would make mm. them sad. And, and then you just go, oh, I just want to leverage my life to change this, not just for my son, yeah. but th- this shouldn't be like this, you know? And I think that, John, you're talking about this, this big scope, small scope, and you, know, you get to the scope of the problem, you want to bring solutions. It, it was something about that comment to me where I just go, I, how do we turn the tide? That it's not just about, man, I, I, I will do this for my kids. But how do we turn the tide for a generation? How do we get intentional? And I even think, Becky, this is where we come in and go, how do we, you know, you, even your story, the beauty of your story is where, where your father wasn't there, but the church came in. And, and I just think there has to be a vision about how do we get, not only how do we awaken moms and dads to this kind of intentionality, but how do we awaken the body of Christ where the church steps in? You know, it's like you write a book. What do you hope happens with it? I'm like, gosh, man, I've written a few books. Every now and then you get a nice email like, our small group really loved your book, you know. <laughs> like, I have a very ambitious goal for this book. It is to normalize a pathway of formation. For how, and change your way a generation of young men are raised inside the Christian church. It's it's like I want it. I want it to be normal, where your son says, "What do you mean your dad doesn't do this for you? I don't know anyone whose dad doesn't do this for them." 
I'm I'm about the whole thing. Dave Kinnaman, who's the president of Barna, and there's there's a bunch of research in the book uh, that Barna did about the state of fatherhood. He said that statistically we've reached the point of irreversible decline in the American church, which means bar two things. Number one, a radical move of God, like an actual revival, and two, radical youth discipleship. It's over. And I'm like, as you know, and this is a this is like a Pentecostal charismatic podcast here. If you want to believe for something, it's believing for a move of God and then committing to discipling a generation. That's the that is the research task in front of us. And uh, so, you know, being on the phone, being on a podcast with someone with a passion for revival and someone working with young people is kind of like mm. this is this is the conversation. I saw someone the beauty of Instagram the the horrific, ugly side of it too. Someone said, Gen Z doesn't need more altar calls. They need more discipleship. And I, my heart broke. I said, they need both. They need the discipleship after the altar call to forsake one for the other, you know? And I just... I am he, I am an altar call kid, man. I am a John Tyson stand-up right now. God's hand is on your life. Come forward. Same. Sobbing response at the altar. Yeah. Old school AOG kid. Absolutely. And so to... I love the sentiment behind it because we do need leaders committed to discipleship. But like you said, without the move of God. Discipleship is made in two, it's made in big breakthrough moments and then it's made in daily faithfulness. That's how we change. There's like big, huge things and then lots of little small things and pitting them against each other rather than integrating them will only, because then a generation later it'll be, we don't need more discipleship. We need more older calls. Exactly. It's like we need both. You know, you might be a dad specifically, might be a dad of older kids or young kids. You might be a parent. You might not be. You might be a young leader, might be married, might not be married. But what I want you to hear is that the the transformation of lives in the name of Jesus uh, requires a level of intentionality that you actually were made for. When I meet with people, I think when 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 I'm processing life with young leaders, I find that there is this pain in them because they have dreams not realized. But what they don't realize is that the simplicity of seeing their dreams come to fruition is living their life with a level of intentionality in their own discipleship with Jesus, in their own life with other people, that that something in in the state of life has just robbed us from a, a lifestyle of intentionality. And specifically when it comes to discipleship, I just want to say. If you would pull one, two, or three people and get radically intentional about helping them be shaped and formed into Christ-likeness, it will actually not only change and transform their lives, but people would be amazed at the open door of how much it would change their future, their future. And I just think people don't realize that the movement of Jesus, the engine of the movement of Jesus is intentional discipleship. And if we would just start saying small yeses, our future would open up in front of us. Yeah, I would love for you to speak to that, I, either of you. For again, I work with I work with young people and parents a lot, and just um, and then just being a pastor in the church, there is a mindset that's like, that's not my job. I'm not a pastor. I'm not meant. To, I don't. I don't need to disciple. I'm. I'm not on your. I'm not serving on your youth team. I'll ask someone. Hey, can you hang out with this young person? Can you disciple them? Essentially, I'm not on the youth team. I don't. What would you say to that that mentality, that thing that's gripped society that's, I don't need to do that? 
How can we emulate Jesus without being disciple disciplers? <laughs> oh, I would just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about what you're about to miss out on. Mm. You know, like to follow, to say yes to Jesus, to enlarge your life in every capacity. What if Peter had said, no, I'm not going to drop the nets. Peter went from total obscurity on the edge of a body of water in the middle of nowhere to being crucified upside down at the center of power. Do you think he knew as a teenager when he dropped the net and said yes to Jesus, all the things that would happen in his life? He just said yes. And he kept saying yes. And sometimes he went, he said no, but then Jesus came and got him so he could say yes again. My whole point is like that radical journey changed his life. Jesus saying yes to Jesus will expand the horizons of possibility in your life. Discipling people will expand the horizons of possibility. You never know. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm 44 years old. I was a youth pastor. And, and I can tell you this, before I was a youth pastor, I was a youth leader. There's kids I used to disciple when they were 13 who are now the senior pastors of significant churches and just seeing them find their destiny, come into their own, go on for God. Nothing like when, when the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. I feel that when I see some of these people, like this is the whole thing. To quote President George W. Bush, former president, um, children are only a percentage of our culture, but they are 100% of the future. Mm. And if you want to shape the future, you got to disciple the young. I often get torn because I, I think, gosh, I want to just pivot all of my energy towards raising up this next generation. And we just hired, I'm so grateful for such an extraordinary youth pastor. We got one on our team moving to New York who's going to roll in and I, 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 we're just going to just give it everything we've got because Maybe it's too late in decline for other generations, but it's not too late to shape the future of what's coming. And I'd say yeah. like, you're going to miss out on that. I feel yeah. sad for you. Many years from now, when you're sitting under a blanket watching yet another Netflix series being spooed fenced to your shrinking attention span, something in your heart will rise and say, dear God, I wish I had a spiritual inheritance in this generation. Don't be that person, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm just gonna I'm gonna record that like 20 second clip, and I'm just gonna play that in every meeting I'm in. I, I, I you know, and I just want to say this, and I know we got to kind of bring bring the podcast to a close. We were made to lay down our lives so that the kingdom of God would bear witness in our world. Mm-hmm. And I just there is nothing more compelling. There is nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more worthy of our time. And I just want to say, if you're listening, receive the challenge. How much of your world does Netflix get? How much of your world does Instagram get? How much of your world does putting your brain on pause get? I'm not against it. Watch some fun Netflix. I enjoy Instagram. There are right moments to let your brain be on pause. But I think if we're honest, the amount of time things that don't matter get our attention compared to how little time giving our life away to another person, discipleship, believing in the next generation gets. I think it would grieve us if we were willing to be really open to it. And I just think it's time that we get radically intentional about the things that matter. You, you are you reminding me of something so important. <clears throat> There's that scene in Screwtape 
uh, screw tape letters, which is C.S. Lewis's book, where you have an it's a fictional account. Um, we have an older demon <laughs> talking to a younger demon. And the younger demon is like, I want to get the person that I'm assigned to to have like a massive sin. Like I want like adultery or murder. And the older demon writes to the younger demon and says, look, I appreciate your zeal to destroy lives, okay? And when I was younger, I used to think like that. But the goal is not dramatic. The goal is simply to inch the person out of the light and into the darkness. And you do not need murder if a game of cards will do. And the whole, the whole point was it's those small, tiny, Satan doesn't need you to have a porn addiction. He's happy for you to have an Instagram addiction. It's those tiny little small things that just push you out bit by bit. So I agree. Everything in moderation have its place. But if we were honest, we don't even have the right boundaries. And so I always tell people like this is, I'm always about like doing little experiments, like make an exchange for time. David Wilkerson exchange. God spoke to him. He started Times Square Church. I was right by it uh, earlier today, walked right by it. A, huge multi-thousand person church in the middle of Manhattan. He used to watch two hours of TV at night to take the edge off his intense ministry. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, if you exchange this TV time for prayer, I'll use you greatly. And I walked past his legacy in the middle of Manhattan because he made that exchange. So I'm saying, hey, instead of watching two shows, watch one show and give that other show to God and just sow into prayer. You have no idea what God will do through your life by making that divine exchange. Phil, any closing thoughts? No, I'm just, yeah, go buy John's book. Be intentional. Uh, seriously, if you're a dad and you're listening to this, I cannot recommend anything high, higher than going and getting The Primal Path, buying the book, The Intentional Father. Uh, if, you, if you are an uncle, if you are a grandfather, mm-hmm. if you're a youth leader, if you're a brother, uh, I'm just, I, 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 you know, John knows that, uh, that I genuinely value him but uh this is this is not a false sincerity it is one of the most important things that i think could get into people's hearts and hands and so i just genuinely encourage that and then just uh i just think that there's a word of the lord in this season of waking up to a new level of intentionality and so i just think whatever it looks like it's time to take a step you'd be amazed how much god will do with a small yes don't be intimidated don't be shamed Just take a small yes of intentionality towards Jesus and watch what it'll do. John, thank you so much for your time, for chatting with us. Uh, We'll put all the information about the book on our social media and in the captions of the show, but The Intentional Father, Google it, get it, commit yourself to this. I'm so encouraged and thankful for you, thankful for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Love you guys. Love Jesus culture. Just the words, Jesus culture. That's it. That's the vision. Come on. That's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.